Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Got a great show for you today, but before we get into it, uh, quite a few housekeeping items. Uh, all of these are important, so stick with us here for a few minutes. The first uh, you may have heard in the last couple shows, we've launched a new way to support the show. This is a listener-supported podcast. We're not getting anything from sponsors uh, because that's how I want to do it. Um, but we've got a new way to support us called Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash mayhem, or you can find those links all over the website, cloudbasedmayhem.com. Uh, it, there's a really cool way to support the show where you kind of uh, set it and forget it. Uh, and we've also got on there only for Patreon members some bonus material from time to time. And I've just uploaded about a 10-minute story from Larry Tudor back in episode 29. Uh, we talked with Larry for a couple hours. That has been by far our most popular show to date. Uh, we signed off after a couple hours, which I shouldn't have done. Um, he was just rolling in so many good stories. But anyway, signed off. Luckily, I kept recording because he immediately started recounting uh, what I'm calling the magic bus tour. Uh, all these pilots got on a bus way back when, uh, a bunch of hang gliders back in beer in India, and uh, they all promptly took some acid, and then the transmission ran out on the bus, and that's all I'm going to give you. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem uh, if you need a really, really good guffaw in your life today. It is absolutely hysterical. I've been promising I'm going to drop that into a show. I've finally done that. Uh, go over, check it out. It's awesome. Another thing we talked about uh, a lot in the last couple of shows is reserve throws. And uh, I mentioned that Cody Matank uh, had been teaching me last year when I was training with him down in the desert about putting your wing into a, a solid tail slide or at least a deep stall, but tail slide's quite a bit easier uh, with, with both hands, you know, grabbing both brake toggles before you throw your reserve. A really great story in the last episode with Tom Payne about him uh, getting to a helico situation that goes bad and he throws both of his reserves right into his wing. Sounds crazy, but it's actually not that uncommon. And uh, as in his own words, he should have died. Uh, luckily, he got out of that without any injury, but uh, it was a good reinforcement that yes, ideally that is the way you want to throw your reserve, but um, there are a lot of things that are difficult about that. When I put that out on the website, or sorry, when I put that out in the show, um, it started a conversation on paragliding forums. Some of you may have seen that. Uh, I asked Christina in this show, this show is with Christina Cole, who just won the World Acro, uh, she's our new Acro World Acro champion. Uh, she won it this year in Annecy. I asked her about that. Um, so we go into it a little bit in this show, but obviously that's Ideally, uh, if you're in some kind of horrific situation, especially if you've got a multiple riser twist situation, obviously you can't pull your brakes down into a tail slide or a deep stall. Um, and so that's not going to work. Potentially, Christina says you can reach up above and pull the, the brake lines down with one hand. Uh, that would be an incredibly acrobatic maneuver. Um, not saying it can't be done. It probably can. But anyway, this is obviously an ideal situation is if, uh, you know, the best way to throw so your wing doesn't auto restart or start getting, start violently whipping when you go to throw and throw your reserve right directly into your wing. Um, if you can, if you practice tail slide, uh, they're not very hard. And if you can hold that with one hand, uh, all the better. And then you're in a nice stable situation to then throw. 
The obvious question then is why throw if you're in a stable situation? Well, then the answer to that, of course, is, you know, if you've got a massive unrecoverable curvat or you've done some, uh, you've done some acro full stalls, you've got some kind of situation in your ring, your wing that you can't resolve and you're running out of time. So there you go. Uh, next thing I wanted to talk about is insurance. Uh, Ushba just, the last issue just came out with an article for me um, about insurance, which is absolutely incorrect. I've contacted the magazine to, to put that correction in the next, uh, the next one. The, as far as I know correctly, the, the, the post that I've put on my uh, blog, cloudbasedmayhem.com, about insurance is totally updated and it's totally correct right now. But in the article, I mentioned that uh, the GeoSAR insurance offered through Spot and Delorme uh, doesn't work, which is true. There's an, a paragliding and hang gliding ex exception, but I recommend using the Medivac, uh, GeoS Medivac insurance, uh, but that also is that doesn't cover paragliding and hang gliding. So um, the only one I know of is through seven corners their dog tag extreme policy and also there's another one through world nomads although i'm hearing that uh the world nomads coverage is quite a bit inferior so rather than go into all that now because this is really just specific to u.s and canadian pilots and not everybody else who's listening right now sorry about that for you folks but uh go to my website cloudbasedmayhem.com put in a search term insurance and you'll see that uh you'll see that article i've also made some updates on my facebook page so you can go into that Film tour. I'm going on a little mini film tour with North Unknown next week, starting at VIMF, uh, Vancouver International Mountain Film Festival, Saturday the 18th. Uh, and then I'm going to be heading south uh, with a date pretty much every day. Uh, you can find all this on the website, cloudbasedmayhem.com, and you can also find it on my Facebook page and on the Cloudbased Mayhem page. Uh, but I'll be in Seattle over at the North Bend Theater on the 19th. I'll be in Portland at the 20th. Uh, we're still working on a venue for Bend Ashland area on the 21st. We'll be in Palo Alto at the Stanford campus on the 22nd. Uh, we'll be down at, we're still looking for a venue for San Luis Obispo on the 23rd. We're going to be at Santa Barbara at the Sandbox being hosted by Patagonia on the 24th. And then we're working on a venue in San Diego for the 25th. So uh, I will be at all of those shows. The film's about an hour. Uh, it documents, it's a Red Bull Media House film that documents Dave Turner and I's uh, full traverse, unsupported traverse of the uh, Alaskan range. It's been winning tons of awards lately. It premiered at Banff in November. Very, very few people have seen it. I hope you'll come out and uh, and check it out. Uh, tickets, uh, funds from the tickets, are a portion of them are going to go to the Foundation for Free Flight, and the rest will cover venue expenses, and the rest of that will go to my XOPS campaign. So hope to see you out there. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll have a ton of sponsor swag. Uh, it'll be a good time. Finally, uh, this show, Christina Kolb. I was contacted by a few different people who said I really had to talk to Christina. She won the world championships in Acro this year uh, and was 12th overall, a massive achievement. Uh, this girl, gal, is just super obsessed with paragliding, loves it, and uh, was but was just down in Chile and Brazil and was uh, witness to quite a few accidents. So as a common theme, like we get into the show here, as we often do, I, we talk a lot about safety and uh, progression and training and what you can do to prevent these kinds of accidents. Some of them are in some ways kind of mindless, uh, very, very preventable. Um, 
We talk about a lot of things that we've talked about in other episodes, but it's always great to get it from a female perspective, uh, not least of which we talk about the importance of SIV, who it's right for, who it's potentially wrong for, uh, the importance of ground handling, uh, why acro pilots are so much better than cross-country pilots on the ground, and that's just because they practice. Uh, no great... Um, no great mystery there. So uh, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Christina was over in Austria. We had a little bit of trouble with the sound in the first few minutes, but I don't even think you'll notice that quickly goes away. So uh, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Christina Kolb, and I hope to see you on the road next week uh, with North Unknown. Cheers. <music> Christina, so great to have you on the show. Uh, we, we've been trying to do this for, gosh, I think we're getting into the months, not even weeks anymore. But um, thank you so much. It, it can always be tricky to uh, line up when we're in completely different time zones. So why don't we start off with that? Where are you and, and what are you doing these days? Uh, hi, Gavin. Nice to finally be able to talk to you. So yeah, that was quite a hard one. Um uh, right at the moment, I'm in Austria. I've decided to break of a journey uh, in South America, flying project in Brazil, uh, which was like turning pretty weird at the moment. So I decided to go back home and to spend the winter snowboarding and relaxing, which has been great so far. Yeah, uh, a flying a flying project that went weird uh, in Brazil. That sounds like a great place to start. What happened in Brazil? <laughs> well, actually, a lot happened before we ever got to Brazil. So by the time we were actually there, I just wanted to go back home and to hide in a hole and to never come back out again. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of stuff happening. We uh, had a car in Chile, which had broken down in the meantime, we had bought it like a year ago. So that was a big factor. There was like nothing I could do about it. I'm not good at mechanics. And there was this car hanging out. We couldn't move to Brazil, which is where we wanted to go. Uh, there were a lot of accidents in uh, Chile this year. The weather was a bit different and the accidents were pretty bad and horrible. I spent a lot of time at the hospital uh, accompanying friends. I didn't really feel like flying, felt like flying anymore. Uh, well, there was a lot of stuff happening, like kind of things where you just don't want to go out anymore in the end. <laughs> and by the time we actually got to Brazil without the car by bus, my MacBook had got stolen on the bus and I was just ready to like run back home and hide. <laughs> wow, gosh. I mean, there's some stuff we're going to have to talk about there. Uh, what, what was the plan and uh, what was what were you guys hoping for in Brazil? And, and also, who, who's we? You keep saying we. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, I'm usually traveling with my uh, partner, boyfriend, Alan. Um, he's a very good pilot, too, very passionate. So we're usually traveling and flying together. Uh, so that's we. Yeah, so we were planning on going to Brazil and doing a little project with the president of the female flying movement there, I guess, the female paragliding movement, um, which is called Saia Paraguar, uh, Go Out and Fly. And uh, it's pretty nice. In Brazil, actually, there are 600 lady pilots. So we're flying more or less frequently, I guess. So, which is a lot. I didn't know about that. And uh, this lady's my friend's role as a president of that movement or whatever is basically to promote flying for females, uh, female pilots to, yeah, get uh, more people out there, get safety standards up and all that. So we were planning on traveling with her through Brazil um, and traveling to the most famous flying sites, basically having a look at it and getting more people out there going out to fly. Mm. And but then that didn't, that didn't really 
come together? Are you going to be planning to going, going back to do it more or, um, <laughs> where, where's your, where's your head now with, with flying after the accidents in Chile and getting your Mac stolen and, uh, yeah, we're, we're just taking the winter off. Basically that was it. Yeah. It was weird when I came back home. I thought about flying just from behind my house, a little small flight. My mom was offering to drive me back up there. And, you know, you get these mental images sometimes when you think of something. Well, my, my mental image was one of a helicopter and somebody just laying on the ground. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty bad. Mm. That's not what I want to associate flying with. So. <laughs> So I basically, yeah, I'm taking my time off. I started to do some speed riding. I'm snowboarding a lot, which is really nice. And I've flown my new Emily Smile, which is really nice as well. <laughs> but I'm taking it easy and I'll see what what will happen or what will come up. I've got a few ideas and projects in mind. But for now, just letting it flow and see what happens, I guess. So before we get into your uh, your big win last year in Annecy, became the world champion in, in Acro, which I want to talk about. That sounds awesome. Can you give the, those, the listeners that you know don't know a lot about your history, how'd you get into flying? What was the impetus? Bring us up to speed with how you became the, the world champion. Hmm, that could be a long or a short answer. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go long. Let's go long. Okay. <laughs> right. So when I was like really young, maybe like eight or nine years, we had a pilot flying from the hill behind my house and he barely took off. He just got his feet off the ground. But I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. And my mom was, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I guess I've been always, <laughs> yeah, I've been always doing things a bit like out of the extraordinary or being fascinated by it. And when I was like 15 or so, one of, uh, a good friend of mine started flying. He was a very crazy guy, like very crazy. And we were all like, yeah, he's probably not going to survive it. And <laughs> in the end he did, he became good and he got, a, he became a tenant pilot and he started taking friends along. So I was of course among the first to, to, uh, <laughs> put your hand up. The queue and yeah, exactly, exactly. And it was really nice. It was exactly what I was always looking for or hoping for. But then I'd, I'd started backpacking all around, like just going back home to work, get some money and go back off again with my backpacking, whatever. So I did that for like two or three times more. And uh, yeah, then the time came where I was like, okay, now I got some money and some time. Let's do that paragliding license. And I never got off it again. I was just addicted, I guess, from the first moment. So and where, then where, was is, uh, where is home, Christina? Home is Austria. But where, you, you said somebody you saw somebody fly out behind your house. So where where in Austria? Mm, it's a really small village close to Switzerland, like four hundred inhabitants. I think you would oh, know. Oh wow! It. Okay, well, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I've flown a lot over there, but may, maybe uh, maybe they, maybe the X Alps route will will take us by your place this year. <laughs> ah, we're in the foothills. <laughs> okay, okay. But I might come out and see the X Alps. It's something that I <laughs> I'm start to get uh, starting to get more interested in. Yeah, you mentioned it. You know, before we started recording, you mentioned that you're you're quite into hike and fly. I, I like this. Um, you know, it sounds like you. You, you 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 got this kind of immediate passion. Was it was it was acro the first draw or well anyway I'm getting ahead of things. So take, keep keep <laughs> keep taking us through your your history here a little bit. So you you got into you, you you did some tandems and then you took the lessons and then you never looked back. Yeah, basically that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was all just paragliding and like it shows the place where I studied for its flying sites uh, when I had to do uh, years abroad because I, I had a language uh, related studies 
Uh, I chose them according to the flying sites, spent some time in Argentina flying, spent some time in Guatemala flying, in Spain, in Granada. Yeah. You were choosing the places to study around paragliding, which I love. That sounds like a smart thing to do. And then how did the, how did Acro start coming into the fold? Mm, right. So, so for me, it's always just been flying. Like even if I, uh, just had a sledder, I was happy. I just wanted to fly. That was my thing. And I didn't really think about, uh, where I wanted to go or that I really wanted to become, become good at something. And, and Acro has been really fascinating to me, but I just didn't have any people around who were flying Acro. So I wasn't the kind of person to go out and just pull on it and try myself. And, and at some point in, in Chile and Iquique, which is a place I've been going back to a lot of times just because the conditions are pretty steady normally, except for this year and pretty awesome. Uh, I got to know two acro pilots and they told me about this place called Organia. And so I was like, yeah, why not? I was living in Granada at the time, which uh, <laughs> was supposed to be really good for flying as well. But that window was pretty bad, which is why I left for Kikike. And uh, yeah, so on my way home from Granada to Austria, I stopped by in Organia and I spent, I planned on just staying there for a few days or something. And yeah, I ended up spending the whole summer there. I <laughs> it was just a place to be. The people were perfect. The people were really, really nice, and were the reason that I finally like got into this dream of of doing some acro and doing some yeah fancy movements in the air. And I kept on going back to Organia, and that's how it all started. And I never really had that goal. I mean, Infinity was of course something that would have been really, really awesome to do, but I was just yeah flying along and having so much fun. And one thing led to another, and one trick led to another because it, once you know that you want to know more and you want to try the next step and that's how it all built up really. And what was it like? Were you, did you literally learn your first acro over the dirt in Organia or did you, did you come into Organia with quite a bit of background? Um, it, t tell me about the kind of learning process. Cause I think a lot of people, when they think about learning acro, they they get quite, uh, I don't know, just worried, hesitant, uh, to learn it over the dirt. Right. Um, I basically had an atypical learning process, I guess, in Accra. I learned about everything above dirt um, or above ground. I had my first full stalls, which were really horrible and catastrophic and traumatic in a, in a SIV. It was, <laughs> mm. SIV was a great experience, but my full stalls were just really, really bad. Like, I guess either you're lucky with the first ones, they work out and you'll have a nice and smooth progression, or they're really horrible and you have a trauma. <laughs> ah. and, <laughs> what, what happened? And where, where were you? Who was who instructing? Mm, well, that's not to make bad publicity. I was just no, only no, no. flying for six months and I was in, in Austria at the Aachensee. Okay. Really good instructors, but I was just like too eager and like, yeah, I want to do it all. You know, you get this list of SOV stuff that you want to do or tricks or maneuvers or whatever. And well, I had, okay, like, so you were over the water for the full stalls. I was over the water. Oh, yes, okay. Yes, uh, okay, gotcha. Proper SIV uh, was all good, fortunately, because I was thinking about maybe pulling it above the snow and whatever, and I'm really, really happy that I didn't, I didn't do that, so... Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> and did did they end in in throwing a reserve, or they were just ugly? Nope. But okay. I, they were ugly, and I almost landed in the water like a few times. It was <laughs> funny. We were a few girls who all fucked it up at the same time, and our, our instructor was afterwards like, "Ah, oh, it seems like you three put your head together." And we're like, "Oh no, never do it again." <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it took me four years to go back to doing full stalls again. And when I went to Organia, the people were just so nice. The pilots there, I, I was. 
they basically bared with me for a month of annoying everyone. Like, oh, so what happens if the full stall goes wrong? And what happens if that happens? And what, but what could happen if, and like, I was literally running after everybody for a month and just bugging them with full stall questions. <laughs> and in the end, they actually flew out with me to two good friends, Renan and Rafinha flew out with me. We were like, Chris, full stall now. And like pulling besides me. I was like, oh no. Okay. Right. <laughs> but they got this thing started without them I think I would have never done that and actually so yeah about the ground flying um for me altitude has always been much more important than water uh, a lot of the flying sites above water I know um are very low and I appreciate altitude much more than water like of course if you throw a rescue you're happy to be above water but well I guess it's also the, the state of mind that you're in when you're flying above the ground is is much more concentrated I've had the experience that people come above a lake and do stuff they don't have the basics for doing just because they're like, oh, now i got water, now I can fly acro. But they don't actually know how to fly better. It's just that they're like, oh, yeah, water, whatever. It doesn't matter if I throw a rescue. And, yeah, I don't know if that's a good state of mind to be in. So uh, people who fly above the ground are more concentrated usually and more conscious of what they're able to do and... And maybe follow the progression a bit more because it's not so nice to throw a rescue above uh, ground as above water. That's for sure. Yeah, but, but for me, but yeah, let's. I, no, that that there's some really good stuff there. Um, so for for people that are you know thinking about you know one of the things we come back to again and again on the show is is SIV and um, the importance of that kind of training and the importance of acro training even if you're not getting into acro, just how, how important those skills are, um, given, you know, the, <laughs> the trauma of your first full stalls and how that, because one of the things that Jockey said, which I thought was really interesting is that SIV actually isn't for everyone. You know, what, what the first SIV really does is, is it boosts your confidence, you know, that, that yeah, this yeah. is not something you should be scared of. But he said for some people, it actually is quite traumatic and they can have the experience like you did and not come back to it. I mean, really the first one, you're not learning that much. You know, it's, it's more just getting over that fear and getting a mm -hmm. little more confidence. And then you've got to come back to, you know, I know Andre was saying you, you have to really do 300 full stalls before you're even really starting, um, which I thought yeah. was just terrific, you know, that you really yeah, need, yeah. you need that muscle memory. You need to just do it over and over and over again. So it becomes like doing a wing over. It's just nothing. You just, you just do it. In yeah, your, you can do it in your sleep. Um, so what would you suggest given what you went through? You know, what would be, what would be the ideal way to go through that kind of training? Hmm, the idea way. I think it depends on the person. Like mm -hmm. everybody's got different goals, and I think it's a good idea to know what you want, to know what where you want to go with that first SIV. Of course, goals change afterwards. But for example, I've been doing like every everything that I dare to pull by myself above ground. Like I've done all the the, the collapses, the frontals, the accelerated, not accelerated. Um, everything I dared to do myself. So I knew I wanted to go there in order to do the full stall because I didn't dare doing that above ground by myself. Uh, for calmer pilots, uh, just do the first collapses that they don't dare do at home in, a, in an SIV. That's great. 
And I think if you know what you're going for and why you need those things that you're going to learn, uh, it won't end up being traumatic, traumatic in a sense that you won't do it anymore. As about the, the repetitions, like that's, yeah, SIV. I mean, even if you do three frontals or something in the first SIV, it doesn't mean that you know how to deal with each and every one that will come up in your life. So, well, you, you trust your way, doesn't it? Well, no, it's true, isn't it? I mean, I think what it does in the beginning is it, it teaches you that you shouldn't be so afraid of your wing, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it's like, whoa, I'm still alive. This is still okay. <laughs> this little collapse is more benign than I thought it would be. Basically, well, it can also be worse, but it shows you how it is to have troubles in the air and to give you time to get used to to this and to know, oh, I have that much time to react and I have time to think what do I have to do now because not every collapse, not every full stop, not every incident is the same, right? Mm. So you basically learn how to mentally deal with it, yeah. And then after having done your first, whatever, 10, five, something collapses, full stops, whatever it is you're learning in an SIV, you can or cannot, according to what your instructor says, go home and, and practice it and do the 300 or however many it takes you to really know what what you're doing. So SIV is great, but it doesn't mean that you're doing an SIV and then you know everything and you never have to do one again. Of course not. Mm, sure, sure. And so... Now we're back in Organia and you're you're you've spent the, the season there. Did it click at some point like, hey, I could I could compete, I could uh you know, but at that first season were you already thinking like, oh, maybe I could win a world championship or take me back to that timeline. <laughs> well the dream came up like, oh, it would be nice one day champion would be really nice, a feather in the cap, right? <laughs> yeah. But I've <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, the competitions were never the goal. The goal, there wasn't a goal. It was just having so much fun flying and so much fun learning this stuff. And now seeing that, like, I've come as far as I've wanted to come for now, uh, I guess there's slowly coming up the possibility of going on with twisted stuff and all that. Now I'm seeing that the way was much more important than actually being here or was much more fun. Like the most fun I was having when I was learning those things and not now that I'm flying them pretty proper and whatever. So, so yeah, comps were not a goal. The goal was just to continue doing what I love, which was flying in any way. Right. And comps are stressful. And for me, uh, it yeah, it was always something like whenever I'm ready to do a comp and like not be really stressed out and put myself under pressure, but just do it because it's fun and I know I know how to do it and see what comes out. That's the time I might go and try it. Yeah. And when when was then when was your first comp? Mm, that was uh, maybe two or three years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. 2014 or something. I tried once, one. It was really, really bad. I had actually one run. We had horrible weather. That's the thing in acro competitions. You often have horrible weather. <laughs> well, in, in, timing in cross country, too. <laughs> same, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you just have to kind of, whatever, throw yourself out in really bad conditions sometimes. Uh, fortunately it always and uh, if you're unlucky and you're having a bad run or like yeah the, the level of the girls to the guys not the same you might only actually have the chance to do one run which is what happened to me and after one run we were cut which means like in the beginning you're maybe 30 something pilots and when the time gets short for the last day or for the last two days uh, only 25 pilots the 25 best will go on and yeah I wasn't in those and I had to drive home after five days of rain with one run and like being last or 
something. I was like, never again competition. That's so screwed up. I'll never do that again. But so then you went yeah, but last, then you went back to it. Yeah, last summer people I don't know. Yeah, I was like basically um let's give it another try this year and if nothing comes out well I've tried it at least. I've been thinking about it too much for not trying it at least. <laughs> and and what are you what are you, I'm curious to know it sounds like you you're traveling a lot with your partner your boyfriend who's who's also a pilot or is he also a professional pilot is is he making his money from paragliding or, and you and you are too is this how you're earning a living or is this a pastime He is a uh, paragliding instructor SIV instructor and tandem pilot so he he earns his money by paragliding but not by being a professional pilot I get my material sponsored, but for now I'm I'm basically working as a translator and sometimes as a paragliding instructor and a tandem pilot. Tell me about instructing. What what do you teach? Uh, you know, total newbies, or are you taking them on a cross country? Are you guiding? What what where do you where do you fit into the fold there with instruction? Mostly total newbies. Sometimes okay. I'm working as a starter for SIVs, but I, I love the newbies because they actually are, they still believe what you're telling them, <laughs> which is quite nice. <laughs> as soon as, as they're a bit progressed, usually people, you know, when they kind of need you, but they don't want to need you. So they're like, oh, I didn't hear you there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> mm. Um yeah, I like newbies. They're usually quite grateful and it's nice to see progress, you know. It's nice to see them actually trying the stuff you're telling them and it works and and yeah, they don't come up uh telling you, No, it's I did that because of na 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 because of what happened to me back then in na 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 and telling you half an hour, like arguing with you about why they didn't do what you actually told them to do. <laughs> I like the newbies. <laughs> um okay, so as a as a pilot now and the and a pilot who's won the, the world championships and also as an instructor, one of the questions I always ask is What's the best advice you've ever received? But I want to ask you the opposite. What's the worst? <laughs> well, uh, the worst advice, I actually didn't have any idea about it until now. But now something just popped up in my head when I was in Guatemala. And there was this guy who was like, only real pilots fly like this. You know, the dragon, um, how do you call it? The dragon position for the brakes, basically. And then you wrap your hands like three times about around the brake lines. Like it's impossible to get out of your brakes in a, in a like difficult situation or something. And basically those are, those were tips I often got on my travels where people come up to you and go like real pilots only do it this way and there's no other way and that's mm. the way you have to do it if you want to be a real pilot i think those were usually pretty bad uh, <laughs> pretty bad tips or whatever or things that worked for that special flying site but that wouldn't work anywhere else and that just left little margin for alternatives or alternative thinking and i think that's a pretty bad uh, way of looking at it because it, it fixes things right ah. Ah, okay. Oh, I like it. That's good. Yeah, interesting. So, so, uh, had that so far? too much reliance. Like the... Well, I, you know, for me, the, and one of the reasons I was kind of laughing as you were saying that is I think I got really lucky with surrounding myself with, with good mentors early on. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, like when I go to beer, uh, if, for example, in, in India, the first couple of times I, I flew there in 2009 when I was really just starting to learn how to fly bigger cross country, I learned very early on that I had to really, you know, consciously ignore 
what was going on <laughs> at launch. You know, like if you if you get tied up oh, yes. in a place like beer where you've got a couple hundred people, got a whole lot of people that you know, shouldn't even be flying. And it's, and it, you know, it's kind of a zoo and a disaster. And if you start watching, you know, I, I watched this guy one time take off, spin the wrong way, pull the wrong brake, spin right back into the hill and break his leg. You know, oh, if you, hard. you know, it, horrible stuff like that. And it happens all yeah. the time there. And, oh, and, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. and so if you, if you pay any attention to that, so I, I'm the kind of, I'm the guy on launch that just goes, I, I get, I get ready, I get set and I go. And I, and I don't, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. I just don't ever, you know, I'll jump in front of people. I'll, I'll be really not rude, but you know, I just, I don't like to just stand and wait and wait and wait and watch. And I don't know. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just ignore that. So that's my advice is to, <laughs> is to ignore <laughs> all that. I but. Think absolutely. You but, have to have to kind of your own bubble, right? Where you're like concentrate yeah. on your stuff and you don't see and hear all that stuff. Because if you see somebody having an accident just before you take off, I think that doesn't put you in a good headspace, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think uh, Mad Syndergaard, we had him on the show a while back and he's written a book about this, but he talks about priming, you know, and he talks about priming your head for, for success. And that's very much a part of it. You know, if there's yeah, somebody yeah, sitting yeah. next to you on the way up to launch talking about an accident, that's a good time to put your headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I mean, it's really mean, but I think that's all. It's the difference if you're sitting in Organia, which is a place where there are a lot of acronyms pilots or if you're sitting in a place which is a typical cross-country mm, hunt whatever uh, acro pilots tend to do a lot of ground handling which just makes them good at taking off it's just a fact and and whenever there's cross-country competition at an acro site we actually always have to fight like oh those acros are flying in front of the takeoff na 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 and the acros are like oh but you cross-country guys don't know how to take off <laughs> and it's like very satirical but actually there's a grain of truth in it so so Absolutely. I would sit in Organia for two hours talking to acro pilots because I know I won't see any anything horrible like that. Like normally, you know, mm. there's always space margin for error. But yeah, the typical, I guess, if you're at a cross country competition or something, I've been to some of those like very typical places, and that's yeah, that's the place where I look the other side as well. I guess yeah. Mm. So I, I was actually gonna I was planning on starting this this podcast off, you know, before we even bring it in with you uh, mentioning there's a. Uh, I've been talking about in the last couple of episodes, we had Tom Payne on the last show and he recently had a really scary incident where he had a helico go bad through his reserve, through his reserve, right into his wing, uh, through a second reserve, through a second reserve directly into his wing. We were talking oh, about shit. probabilities and uh, one versus two reserves and, and, and how, and, and it's actually after talking to him, uh, you know, realizing and hearing other stories that it's, it's actually not that uncommon. And, you know, if you're in a really bad situation where there's, uh, you know, like a, uh, auto restart and the wings, you know, anyway, you're just, you're out of control and, and, and you in some ways kind of get unlucky. But one of the things I was, I learned from Cody, I was doing some, some acro training with him over the dirt uh, last winter was he was, he's always talking about, you know, having your wing in a solid tail slide or deep stall before you throw, you know, so with one hand pulling both mm -hmm. toggles down and, and then mm -hmm. throwing your reserve. And this was something that he's practiced and trained and was was talking to me a lot about. So I, I mentioned that on the show and it started a, mm -hmm. a topic on the paragliding forum where 
people are confused about that because how would you get your your wing into that kind of configuration if you're in multiple twists you know because you can't pull your brakes down then is this yes and i would just like yeah. to get your acro perspective on that what what do you what do you guys practice and train for throwing or do you do you do that first do you do that and then two if you you know do you reach above and pull the brakes down and then throw or or do you just throw yeah right well so first of all i'm pretty bad at that i haven't done any training uh, on my rescue until i actually needed it which is pretty bad and not advisable at all mm -hmm. <laughs> but well it was just never the time i was always at the lakes when it was too cold <laughs> so i needed my rescue like three times in my life and it was always in a constellation where i didn't really have much room for reaching up and and pulling the deep stall if you manage to it's definitely a good idea like i had to throw a rescue twice when i was going into into auto rotation mm -hmm. i don't know if i personally would have to force to pull my wing into a deep stall at that point because if i could do something then it would be to stop the wing from auto rotation and if that that doesn't work anymore well, if you have to force to do that, it's for sure a good thing because uh, that auto rotation will probably, might probably eat your rescue, definitely. Mm. Um, if you're twisted, I don't see how you could manage unless you really reach up high, if you can reach it that high and wrap those those whole whatever C lines or D lines or whatever you get, B lines uh, around your hands. If you're strong enough to do that, yeah, go for it. Whatever you can do to to calm down your wing and to give you some space in order to throw out rescue into free space, as we call it, for it to open freely, yeah, do it, whatever. But every constellation is different. So if you have the time, if you know how high you are when you throw and you have the time to just analyze it quickly, if you milliseconds or one second or whatever to analyze what's happening it will save you a lot of that head headache afterwards right mm. you will you you have to take the time to see where you can throw your rescue what, um, are, what are the things that you guys are are talking about a lot in organia like when you're on on launch and um you know what are the what are the what are the most common sources of misery uh, that that happen? You know, <laughs> with the in the acro scene because I'm I'm just I'm not in it. I don't know a lot about it. I just know that, like you said, the acro pilots are so much better on on the ground, uh, and of course with wing control yeah. in the air. It's you know, but I imagine there's still are there maneuvers that you guys worry? Are there some that that worry you a lot more than others? Uh, yeah, but it all depends on the level, really, right? Mm. Like a beginner might be worried about his first set or the first full stalls, which is always a big, uh, <laughs> a big topic, sure. or whatever. The top might be worried about not getting their twisted infinite straight into whatever into axis long enough for the points to count in a competition. Like it really depends on the level. Safety is always an issue especially if something has happened that was not nice and to talk about how that could have been avoided uh um prop like flying the tricks properly uh is an issue which is more like interesting from a technical point of view but i think safety is a big, big issue as, as well yeah um christine i want to rewind a little bit again to the, the all these accidents you just saw back in 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 chile you know now that you've had some time to process it i imagine and uh agonize over it i'm sure what what are you know if you could have rewound the clock and told those pilots that got hurt, what would you tell them? I think I'd tell them to heed 
basic advice that you actually get while you're still in flying school and that's still valid. <laughs> On the first day we had a crash between a hang glider and a paraglider and that just means that you haven't been watching. I mean that's something that's totally avoidable. That's something when I make a curve I, I watch what's behind me, right? If I'm crashing into somebody or something like this. It's very basic but if there are still crashes like that it might mean that we still have to remind people of hitting basic stuff. I don't know, there was an accident. There were more accidents in rotors. And Chile looks easy and cross-country flying there is easy, but rotors are still rotors anywhere on the world and you have to take certain precautions while you're flying through them. Stuff like that or when you're flying, I mean, very basic stuff. I'm, yeah, I guess it's it's time to repeat them because I've seen too many things happen like that. When you're crossing the town, make sure that you're high enough because if you're not high enough, you're standing somewhere between an electric line and a roof. It's just like that. I mean, shouldn't be having to say that, but it, it, yeah, it happens. So yeah, might as well repeat it. Um, I don't know, not trying stubby touches or ground spirals while the air is really bumpy. I mean, it's really obvious, but we have accidents like that every year in, in Chile and it's, it's horrible. <laughs> mm. So yeah, getting to know your wing, taking off, uh, ground handling, lots of lots of ground handling just to take that stress of uh, of a takeoff that you don't actually know how to handle. And yeah, I see many pilots who just kind of throw themselves out and then they're happy in the air and happy camper and they're able to fly for hours. But every takeoff just puts so much stress onto them because they've never really gone out with their wing and ground handled. Um, basic stuff, very mm. basic stuff. Mm. I, I, that's a great reminder to kind of just continually return back to those, you know, the ABCs of flying, isn't it? I mean, I think that we, right. we always to need to keep them close. Yeah. 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 I was uh, blown away. My first uh, super final, and I, I had just started competing that year, so I hadn't been to many comps. It was down in, in Columbia, and uh, the launch there is very easy in grass, but it's, it's often either dead air or just slightly over the back, you know, so everybody's doing these running forwards on comp wings, which can be pretty amusing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I was surprised, you know, like the, you just, you would never see, uh, some of the techniques you see there and that's at a super final. These are the best cross country pilots in the world. And you see, mm -hmm. uh, you see some pretty horrific techniques, um, and For just blown launch. Yeah. Just blown yeah. launch after blown launch after blown launch which you would just never see in the acro world at all and I, I was just i was really it really enforced in me like dude you got to spend time ground handling like because you don't want to look like these guys <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> it's embarrassing <laughs> uh, i think it happens a lot with people who are going up like uh, to top-notch wings and they're like yeah. no no now i'm flying a good wing like that i can't go back to doing ground handling like a beginner or it must be something like that i think yeah uh, very bad idea you're like well i'm not a good cross-country pilot or, or a proven one or whatever but uh if i fly an enzo i want to know how to stall it because i'm flying that machine and i want to have it in all the configurations above water so i know what happens uh, before i take it into some lee side in some competition stress uh, pressure yeah situation no Absolutely. I mean, I think, I, I think one of the things that I've heard, you know, I, I asked you at one point, what's the worst advice you, you've ever heard? This isn't advice, but the, one of the things that I've heard a lot of that's, that's just wrong is, oh, well, you know, like they, they might be a really, really bad at launching, 
Um, but they're mm-hmm. a quote unquote air Jedi in the air, you know, just <laughs> an amazing. And I, I, I take issue with that. If you're not solid on the ground, you're also not solid in the air because everything that's happening on the ground um, is happens in the air and, and you have to be mm-hmm. able to feel it then, you know, you're not looking Absolutely. at the wing. And so it's, if Absolutely. you're not an air Jedi on the ground, you're not that good in the air either. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, I mean, they, I do up to a certain point, like the <clears throat> pendulum effect takes a lot of stress away. You have to like beat a pendulum on the ground with your feet, right? You have to yeah. walk to what's happening in the air automatically. But absolutely, if you don't know how to feel your wing on the ground, like it's probably going to be the same in the air. And it's just not complete. I mean, takeoff and landing is just part of paragliding. So so you might as well learn how to do it perfectly, right? Uh, there you go. So to be, uh, you know, to summarize, to be a complete pilot, you need to have those skills really down. I mean, that's that's where 99% of the accidents happen, isn't it? So, okay, listeners, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen up. <laughs> go out and ground handle more. I mean, that, this is something we talk about on a lot of shows here. But, yeah, if this is the first show you're listening to with, with Christina here, then that's the message. That's the takeaway. Go ground handle. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it just takes so much stress away, really, because I, mm. I'm seeing that with my students. Those are, you know, they're really good at ground handling after the, the beginner's hill, and they're really confident at taking off, and they're stressed about the flight. And the better they become, the less they'll go out ground handling, the more they'll go out flying, the worse they get at taking off. And in the end, they're just really, really stressed out when they have to take off, and it, it goes more or less whatever it works out more or less and they're like oh finally now i can start flying but they're so stressed out by their takeoff which they don't know if they're going to manage or not without an accident so they can't really concentrate on having a nice flight lottery sure yeah it's 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 over before they're even in the air isn't it exactly like how can you want to be making 200 k's if you if you don't know if you survived the takeoff right yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the proof is in the pudding. You know, when you look at when you look at the videos of Kriegel taking off in just horrific conditions over and over and mm-hmm. over again, and you can just tell that, that. I mean, that's why he's able to go out and crush. He's he's he he keeps focusing yes. on the basics, which is just so important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, and maybe a thing for acro beginners or in general, like one important thing I think is as well to know who is flying out there not to be a victim of the lemming effect if you say that in english yeah like yeah that's really really bad that happens so much and i see it so many times and a lot of accidents could have been prevented just like yeah but not doing because it's flyable because somebody is flying there already and the other guy will be thinking oh if somebody else takes off i can still continue flying or inaccuracy a lot like oh if that guy flies close to the mountain and doesn't respect his box i might just do the same but that guy might be whatever francois rogolski or like the world champion so he might know what he's doing and you're not so yeah use your own brain and and just stick to those safety advice things because they they're there for a reason right mm. one of the best pieces of advice i ever got was you know that that you one of the most valuable things to know in flying is when not to fly. Oh yes, yes absolutely. Oh yes. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one that gets people. And you see somebody that's, you know, that might be out on a terrible day that's flying. They might be way better than you are, or just a lot more <laughs> dumb. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. You don't know which. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
so let's let's talk about your win. Uh, you you had this comp. Uh, you you, you kind of came back to competition after having the terrible first one. Uh, I guess this was last <laughs> last year, and then so take me up to the to the big win in Annecy and and what that what those runs looked like. Do you guys go into those with um, this is exactly what I'm going to do, or is there quite a bit of freestyle depending on how things are exiting and entering and. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, right. So, so, so the, the comp in Annecy was a little bit different from the World Cups I've been to so far because the World Cups are like three or four days and you usually have a lot of more altitude because the sites, uh, yeah, there are different sites with more altitude. So you kind of have to plan your run. That's something you want to talk about afterwards. Mm. Uh, in Annecy, uh, we had a lot less altitude than what well, we had at the two or three competitions I've been to before and we had like seven or eight days, seven days I think of, of um, valid runs plus two training days so it's a lot longer than, than what we had until now which is really interesting because in a normal competition you might get as a girl at least one, two, uh, maximum three runs I guess so with the tricks you have you can put, you can do something nice and then you don't need more tricks because then the comp is over. In Annecy we kind of had to plan and save up our tricks to have something by the end of the week. I think like one common mistake that people are making when they go to the first acro comp at least is just going like, yeah, I know how to do that. Let's just do it and, and fly and have fun. And then they're surprised when they're uh, like towards the last places, which is exactly what happened to me. <laughs> I was really frustrated. Which And this happens if you don't actually plan your run and by yeah having bad results, you actually learn that you kind of have to think about what you're going to do and you have to plan a run for low altitude and for high altitude and kind of have alternatives of what you can do if something goes wrong or if the connection turns out differently than what you want to. The more you've thought about it, the less surprised you'll be while you're flying. And the better points you can get because if you're planning, you can actually, I mean, there is this, a, rank, a rating system and the better you plan them, the more points you will get. If you're just flying whatever you know how to do, you might miss those points for your next run and might not get enough points for this run because you haven't done the right trick at the right time. So yeah, read the regulations and planning your run, I've learned, is a big part of flying in competition. <laughs> mm. So in Annecy, it was really interesting because the altitude is quite low and we had, or I had, at least I had two runs ready in my mind for every time I flew out. One for low altitude, one for high altitude, plus minus one trick or two tricks even that I could add or deduct and still get the points I need and whatever in case the altitude was lower or higher. So it was a lot of planning actually, which was surprising to me. Acro camps, camps are a lot of planning if you want to be... Uh, among the the first places, I guess. Give me an example of of your the the best run, the or your last run. My best run was actually my last run, which was I think because we had so many days of comps and I basically do all the tricks that I know how to do uh, without twisted. I basically do all the tricks to both sides, which is something not everybody does. And I basically practice all of them all the time because I don't do twisted stuff. So it doesn't take so much time off my time to do the twisted stuff. So I had a tumble to, to cork to the other side, to twister, to... <laughs> To, uh, let me think, what was that? To Misty, to Misty, to Dynamic Full Stall. So wow. That. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. I'm just imagining it all in my head. That's, that's it was fantastic. A run. 
And it yeah. worked out perfectly because actually the last day I had the pressure of because we were two girls having a close run. Uh, Nicole Schmidt, she's a very good pilot from Germany. And we were basically always fighting for zero points, something points during the whole comp. And the second last day, we both screwed it up a bit, um, but she a bit more than I. And she was just out of the, the last cut. And I was still inside, which meant that I was basically, I had female title and I didn't have to ver worry about like losing against her anymore so the run was very relaxed and smooth and and actually had altitude for once <laughs> so it was very nice and uh, I think the guys they were getting tired as much as anybody but they still had the pressure and they are training a lot of twisted stuff at a high level which means they're taking the, that takes time off from them from doing the the basic tricks that yeah that they don't practice so much anymore so I had those basic tricks and they didn't I still was like 12th or something but that was pretty nice I was one one place behind Horacio Lawrence which was for me like really great yeah <laughs> so the guys were getting towards their worst days and I was getting towards my best days and yeah nice 12th place and the last run was was really good for me I think and you won the women's exactly yeah congratulations <laughs> thanks <laughs> so what happens now? What, where do you, what, when you, when you got done with that comp, um, you know, are you thinking, okay, more and more of these or, okay, I won the, the worlds now I'm going to do something else. Um, I actually haven't decided yet. <laughs> ah. If I continue to fly competitions, it will definitely be in the same way that I've done so far, like flying for fun and no pressure at all. Because as soon as I put pressure in there, I notice that I do stupid things, that things become dangerous and that I'm just not flying as good anymore or as relaxed anymore. So I definitely want to do a little bit of more, more cross country flying. I might even do uh, one or two cross-country comes but for the reason of learning if all the good com uh, cross pilots say that you learn a lot in cross-country comps i mean mm. why shouldn't it be true so i think that's the reason for me to to do a little bit of that to do more cross-country and know a little bit more get a bit more experience and to be finally able to do um i think bivaking bivak flights by my own i think that's something i i want to get more into Mm. And Accra will will always. I mean, it's just so much fun. It's too much fun to <laughs> to let it go. <laughs> so I'll definitely continue with Accra flying. And I'm starting slowly to think that uh, trying more twisted maneuvers might be something that could be fun. Yes. You know, I, I know it's it's impossible to predict this, but uh, when you kind of look back at the history of Accra, you know, there's probably been quite a few times where people thought, okay. There will be no more tricks. That's <laughs> there. There can't possibly be something else. But is there? Are there something? Is there something completely new that no one's ever seen on the horizon? <laughs> uh, not that I know of. I mean, there is fun stuff like um, what's the name of the American acropilot that you hadn't shown lately? Uh, Max Marion. I mean, he has done some very fun stuff like the flips and in infinite and something something like that that was yeah yeah i yeah. was like wait what <laughs> <laughs> he's he's flipping he's flipping in his harness during an infinite i thought wow that's pretty neat <laughs> it's hurting your shoulders <laughs> yeah right oh the wonders um, of youth i love it <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, I don't know. In the end, you only have two breaks and there are only so many points and, and, and strength levels that you can pull them with, right? So I don't know. Uh, but yeah, as you said, we have thought a lot or they have thought a lot of times there's no more space for new stuff and there's always been something so far. So it's exciting to see what co will come up next, right? 
<laughs> yeah. And tell me about Acro Wings. Uh, this is another thing I don't know a lot about, you know, with shark nose technology and, you know, the what Ozone came up with in 2009, uh, just radically changed the sport of paragliding in cross country. It is, has the same thing happened in, with Acro Wings? I think I'm too new, new into Acro for actually talking about that. I, okay. I've been flying Acro for like four years or so. Mm. Well, I guess one thing was that the doing infinites became a lot safer from what they tell me. And another thing is uh, that wings basically do as pharas, which is something not all wings did safely before. So mm. basically now criteria for wings is as well that they, they're able to do as pharas without you falling to the wing, I guess. Yeah, I'm more the kind of pilot that takes a ready wing that I know that it works and I'm having fun with it. I'm <laughs> not a lot into construction, to be honest. Yeah. And you said you're flying the Emily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a pretty wing. Yes. Back to instructing. I, I just wanted to ask a couple more things about, uh, you know, that that process. When you, you're, you're teaching these new students, um, does it take you back to when you were first learning? Like when you think back to your 50-hour uh, self, is there advice or uh, that you either got and didn't follow or advice that you wish you would have gotten when you when you look back to your your first year hmm. I think I got a lot of good advice and one of those pieces of advice was to listen to everybody but to use your own brain while processing what you're hearing and I think that's a piece of advice advice I'd, I'd give on like Everybody, you know, the typical you're coming to take off and everybody knows everything. Um, there is some truth in those things. Not a lot of it is like it's better to let it ride straight out of your head again. But I still go up to pilots when I'm at a new spot and ask them, hey, what about the weather? Hey, what about this? What about that? Because they know and it's useful. And I still take gladly take advice from people no matter what like technique wise landing wise whatever mm. weather wise um yeah and i have had the good i have had the basis of of learning and that's what i always tell my students like you're learning the basics here which means that you're able to use your own brain afterwards listen to people but like yeah use your brain to know if that's a useful piece of advice or not mm. but get it and don't become arrogant and think you know it all i think that's like one of the biggest mistakes after one year of flying or so, when nothing has happened to you, people are, are well, I was like that, I'd become invincible, you know, mm. <laughs> because nothing has happened and whatever, all those things that accident, accidents and people, um, all those things that ha people have been telling me about accidents, it can't happen to me because nothing has happened so far. And that's a really dangerous point, I think, like one year or so after having started to fly. So staying humble and still taking advice and still trying things out for yourself is something very useful. And I think something else which is useful is just knowing why you fly, like in a, in a sense of taking it slowly. I've seen a lot of people who are going very, very fast because they want to become champion or they want to do comps in after one year of having started to fly or... Or they see people flying in Organia and they want to do infinity in one month or something like that. And I think that leads to a lot of 
behavior that isn't useful for flying. Usually those people scare themselves and don't continue or have bad accidents. Or some of them become really, really good as well. Like mm. everybody's got a different path. But I think it's very useful to know why you're flying and why you're flying, not where you want to go because that can change. But a lot of people have these goals and I have the impression that they don't even appreciate flying as such because they're like, oh, I want to do infinite and I want to do comps. And you're like, yeah, but for now you're just, you've been flying for three months and are you actually enjoying it? Or, <laughs> I mean, mm. we had a really think, interesting discussion uh, in the last show with, with Tom Payne uh, with about X contest, you know, he's like the, the, the guy I fly with and one of my, one of my supporters in the X Alps, uh, we got really into the chocolate bar for a couple of years, you know, on X contest mm -hmm. where every hundred K flight, uh, you know, you can have, quote unquote, a chocolate, not a real chocolate, but then, and then they add them all up. And at the end of the season, you know, whoever has the most chocolates and I think he won it two or three years in a row. And, and oh, we nice. did, we talked about it, which was nice. And it was also really fun and it gave you, um, it, it, it helped, it helped make you plan your day, which I think is really important. And it helped you create tasks and it helped you get the most out of the day. But it also, mm -hmm. um, what, what we were talking about is, is the, you know, the evil, that's the good side. And the evil side is that you're chasing numbers and, yeah, and right. that can be, and that can cloud why we do it. Can it? I mean, it, it's, yeah, exactly. It, it has to exactly. be fun first. <laughs> absolutely. Um, absolutely. That's like, yeah, when the pilots land after 198Ks and they're really frustrated and angry. Right. I mean, I can understand that you're pissed because you didn't get to 200, but I mean, did you have a nice flight? Hello. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of thing. I think, yeah, I think that's really important to not forget that. Mm. Like last year in Organi, I met a guy who was really nice and he just came from the Civ and he was uh, more towards the beginner level. Uh, Siv SIV, right? Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, it was nice, but I didn't even do full stalls. And like, really, as if it was just shit what, he, what he'd been doing. And I was like, well, I didn't tell him. I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. But afterwards, I was thinking, I mean, why would you have to do full stalls? I'm sure you learned what you needed to learn. Otherwise, the instructor would have made you do it. And and that SIV was there to to show you new stuff. And why would you need a full stall at your at your stage of flying? Did you... Did you enjoy what you learned? I mean, I should have told him all those things. Like mm. this pressure of becoming better and of seeing really good pilots, which happens, of course, in Organia, and, and wanting to be the same and thinking that everything they do is like inferior and you're only really cool if you're among the top. I think that's a mistake because, it, yeah, it leads you away from why you're doing this, right? Mm. I think. Yeah, I think it's uh, good to be mindful of how precious each one is in in whatever manner it is it's always precious we're flying it's ridiculous <laughs> it's, just, it's just completely ridiculous yeah that, that alone is mind-boggling that's why i'm doing it and i think it's good if you know why you're actually doing it right yeah. and that's also for for when something bad happens to you like coming back to to remembering why you're actually flying are you flying to become the champion or to chase that record or to whatever or are you flying because it's fun or I think that's important to know. That's mm. yeah. Mm. That would be a tip that I'd give newcomer. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, one area I'd love to get into because this has been extremely interesting with our our previous female guests. Uh, I want to ask you some male female stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Would you? laughs> um, first, I'd like to hear about you know how 
is it tricky to manage a relationship uh, that's you know when you're when you're dating somebody that's in the industry that's in the sport that you love is that uh, challenging is it great actually I think I'd, uh, it would be a real handicap if my boyfriend didn't fly <laughs> okay <laughs> if mm. you're flying as much as I do and flying as much as he does uh, I don't know like if you have to fight every weekend about if you're able or uh, allowed to go flying or not that that wouldn't work for me. <laughs> So we don't have any, you know, discussions about where the next holiday is going to be or what it's going to be about because it's just going to be is it going to be the Dolomites or Slovenia or whatever. Right, right. That's, it has, I mean, it's, it's, it's going perfect. to be a paragliding trip. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It can be annoying, of course, because sometimes you get into whatever competition mode or comparison mode and he's just a much better pilot than I am. So mm. <laughs> he always gets the applause. I'd have people come up to me and say, oh, I saw your top landing. I was like, oh, yeah, but your boyfriend, he is good. I'm like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean that's that's probably uh yeah <laughs> that's the biggest problems we have in that kind of respect. Right. right. It would be much worse if he didn't fly. <laughs> is it is it challenging for you at all to get advice from him because he's your boyfriend or is that are you cool with that? It's challenging to get advice from him because we don't t talk the same language in paragliding. Like, you ah. know, you have people that exactly talk the same way as you feel things or as you live them. And he doesn't. <laughs> so I would have loved to get a Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's like, I don't know, did you experience that when you're getting advice from people or tips? Yes, and totally. Yeah. And you just can't relate to what they're saying, yeah. even though they're no, right. Totally. I, 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 uh, yeah, I get that all the time. I mean, it really, we, everybody learns in a different way, don't we? And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, right, right. So uh, that's really interesting. Kind of guy, like axis and then this axe because the angles and whatnot, whatever. And I'm like, oh, just tell me how much I have to pull with what time. <laughs> right. So, of, yeah. So he's you're more, you're more kinetic like, and he's more, he's, he's more kind of an engineer. Exactly. He's much more technical. I'm more like feeling and yeah, great. At that time, I have to pull that much. <laughs> yeah, I'm the Which same way. Which is why I'm not a good cross-country pilot. I don't think about flying. Same for you. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm more a cross-country pilot, but yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm not very technical. And I was one of the things we talked about is is uh, how many engineers are really pulled to paragliding. You, you find a you find a lot. I mean, real engineers. That's their job, and it's uh, it's you know they're very technical about it. You know, like talking to yeah, Tom yeah. Payne last week. That he's he's incredibly analytical. And I mean, right, I don't yeah. understand. I don't understand fabrics or how the things go together. Or, you know, I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> it's just not even interesting to me because I don't understand it. So I was, oh, it, it, it goes, <laughs> it flies. I'm in. I'm in. It sounds good. So uh. yeah, we're into this on the same page there. I guess yeah. <laughs> it's it's great if you can combine those two areas. Like um, yeah. that's what I'm trying to do now in order to be able to fly cross country at all. Because I'm just like yeah, yeah, great. I'm flying. Like oh, you have to think about the shape of that cloud or where the wind is coming from. You know, that kind mm. of thing. Sure. It's good if you can combine it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Are there disadvantages to being a female in acro? That's an interesting question. Like, um, it was a big advantage for me because I was the only girl in Argania for a long time, and people have been taking a lot of care of me. Mm. <laughs> but wing-wise, I um, I actually had a big issue with my last wing for the last two years because it was exactly the same model from RG, it produced the same model for two years, and I didn't believed that it was due to my size and exactly that wing for a long time until I, I just had to believe it. 
Um, my wing was a 16 Emily and with my weight, uh, which is like, uh, what's my weight, like 75 kilos takeoff weight or something with everything, it wouldn't do the Esfera properly. Like it would do it, but it was a very nasty feeling. And I learned Esfera, which is basically a trick where from infinite, you just basically wait until it comes down from one side or you can steer it with a little brake and put it with your weight. And then you just Go, yeah, put your hands up and wait until you see it's it's ready for set, and then you pull a set. So it's it's extremely easy. And I did my first ten or so on a on an eighteen Emily, and it was perfect, and everything worked nice. I'm like, oh, the most uh, or the trick that gives you the most points in a comp, and and so easy. Yeah, great. And um, from from when I had my sixteen onwards, I just had massive problems with this fair. Like I had a lot of therapeutic sessions with the really good pilots like Horacio or Theo or Francois. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, it's just a nasty moment that you have to pass through. And I'm like, okay, well, if you say so. But it was a very nasty moment. Huh. And I've tried everything basically. And this summer, if I had the, bad, the worst experience of my paragliding life, I fell into my wing because I tried something and I tried it wrong. And I was totally desperate because this fucking sphere just wouldn't work. And at some point towards the end of the season, a friend from New Zealand, Brooke, he just took my wing and was like, well, let me see if it's really that horrible. And I was hoping that he'd say, well, it's really horrible. I'm sorry, that's just the wing. And he came back, he gave me the wing and he was like, it's perfectly fine. I don't know what you got. I'm like, no, come on, don't tell me that. And we had a look at the videos and he was doing basically the same thing I did, but it just looked perfectly nice and fine. And I showed him my video and I was doing the same thing that he would do, but it was just horrible, absolutely horrible. He's like, wow, okay, I understand why you've been crazy for the whole summer. And I finally had to believe that the 16 wouldn't work with my weight in a sphere. Brooke had like 20 Ks or 30, I don't know, more than I did. And it worked perfectly fine. And it was very interesting because 16 is quite a small size. But only people who would be heavier would work on those wings. Like all the good pilots are guys and they force, uh, I mean, they have like 20 or 30 Ks more than me. And for them, those wings work. But for me, it wouldn't. And I would have had to trim it myself to make it work for my for my weight. While with an 18, it was working with my weight. So that was very interesting huh, okay. and frustrating. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So there, So there's not there's not a definitive difference, but it seems like there's this problem with certain uh with certain tricks with being light well you just have to trim the wing yourself like uh. this those wings are trimmed by extremely good pilots right until they work for them and they kind of work more or less well but at a certain level i mean it's no problem for all the other tricks but at a certain level in order to have the perfect trick for your wing and your size and whatnot all your weight you might have to whatever take a, a few millimeters off one line and add a few millimeters off another or something that's just something that comes up and that's something i don't know anything about and i i guess if i got into it i could have fixed that 16 to to be perfect with my weight but yeah i didn't okay. know enough about it okay yeah. okay so it's it, it probably is fixable uh with some tweaking Exactly. As opposed to if you just have to weight the same weight as the guys do, you just take you just a wing that works perfectly because they have been trimming it to work exactly, you know? Mm, okay. Uh, you fell into your wing. That would be remiss of me to not <laughs> rewind to that. What happened? <laughs> yeah, getting technical. So the Asphera, as I said, you can be in, it's basically when you're an infinite and you make it go to one side, either by a brake input or by your weight. And basically, it's hands up and wait, depending on your wing, until you see the side, you pull it. 
um, you can, and there's a little wave that you pass. It's basically the wing while coming down from vertical infinite to towards like horizontal towards sat position. It makes a little wavy movement, which is not very nice uh, uh, when you're the pilot. <laughs> um, but in order to make that wave a little smaller, you can, while the wing is coming down at a certain point, pull a little bit of brake, like minimal, like a few millimeters. And it will make the wave not as nasty. I'm talking what the guys have been telling me because I've never managed with that wing and my size <laughs> or my weight. And so while trying that, I actually pulled the brake way too much um, because, yeah, I was like on a rodeo. So it's very hard to keep to pull a few millimeters and to keep it. Uh, yeah, pulled it way too much, released it without actually noticing. I was rhythming back into the axis. I was coming back to infinite while it was going down and I reacted completely wrong because I actually didn't, yeah, I didn't think that my wing would come straight back above my head or I would go straight above the wing. Yeah, fell into it. It was bad, bad reaction. Yeah, whatever. And then what, did you have to peel yourself out and throw? Um, well, I saw the wing coming towards me and I was like, oh man, now it's, now we've come to that point where I'm going to kiss the wing. And when I realized that it's wrapped around me and that I wouldn't come out of it anymore, I just grabbed uh, the handle with both hands and I just threw it out like I didn't sink at all. And I was just lucky it just opened. Otherwise, I guess, yeah, fight as much. I would have had to fight as much as I can and see if that rescue opens. I was lucky it opened straight away. Uh-huh. Do you fly with a cutaway? No, I should though. I really should. Okay, so they so most most of the most of the acro pilots are. Um, not that I know of. I know a few, oh. but a lot of them aren't actually. But oh. it's a very good idea, I think. Okay, okay. So they aren't. Is there is there a reason they aren't other than just expense or? Uh, I don't think it's expensive. We fly with so much expensive equipment. I think the thirty bucks for for a cutaway. Yeah. So why why don't they? Why why isn't everybody? Very good question. For me personally, it's because I'm, I've just never gotten around to doing it. Like I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's one of those things I really should get and I've never okay. done so, which okay. is very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's good to know. There's been some, there's been, do you have a, um, do you have reserve opinions in terms of, you know, square, round, regalo? Um, hmm. Depends on the kind of pilot you are. Uh, if you have a lot of money and you're you don't mind the weight, I think the acrobase is probably the best option you can get because within two seconds you have a new wing above your head, which mm. is basically yeah the thing you want. Um, other than that, I don't know. For beginners, the regalo is probably not the best idea because you have to be active. You have to do something in order to make it work. For acro pilots training above ground, a regalo or I mean, if you can afford the base harness, is is probably best. It seems like the uh, square uh, square rescue is very good in terms of, of pendulum stability. Mm. But there has been a guy tr- testing all of them, and he has come up with the results that actually the square one has a little bit of, um, of forward speed, which is something that's not always good if you're training close to a mountain. You don't, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're above a lake, but if you're close to the wall, it doesn't. It's not something you want to have, right? Right, because it could turn downwind. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then or have a little the bit of speed. Just take you, exactly. You have okay. the additional speed of the wing and the wind, and you can actually come back to towards the mountain very quickly, which right. is not a nice thing. Mm. 
but there was only one guy actually pointing that out. So it must be something that's not a very present issue on, on, on square rescues. I think you have to inform yourself about what you need to do. All of the rescues have advantages and disadvantages, and then you just have to decide which one you can live with and which one you can't. Mm, okay. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your time, so I don't want to take too much more of it, and we've already soaked up a whole bunch of your time just trying to track this down, haven't we, for the last <laughs> the last couple months. Um, so I just wanted one more question, and then we'll end it on that. You obviously have a passion for Ganya, but for someone you know that's coming into the sport that wants to learn acro, uh, where would you send them in the world? You've you've sounds like you've flown all over the place. Is there uh, do you have a favorite spot? And it doesn't have to be an acro spot. Do you just have a favorite spot to fly? Mm, well, for me personally, it's Organia and it's uh, Ikike, right? <laughs> okay. But for somebody starting out with acro, that's those are definitely not the right places to learn. Anywhere with a with a high mountain, a lot of altitude is good, a lake is good, and the right people around you who will give you the good information because that's a very important factor. Mm. Yeah. Tell me about Iquique because I, I have been to Chile. I've done a lot of sailing down there, but I've never done any flying there. What's the, what's the magic of, of Chile? Mm, the magic of Iquique is that it's in the desert and that you actually can fly every day without ever watching a weather report. That's really awesome. Mm. <laughs> uh, the issue is it's a place that looks very easy, but it's got the same dangers as any other place and people might forget because mm. it looks so easy and because there will always be a few very good pilots and it's always the problem if you see very good pilots, it looks easy, you try it yourself and it doesn't work. Yeah, it's very low for acro. You have a place above town which is very low, so it's good for training what you already know and you want to perfect, uh, per, per, make perfect. Mm -hmm. And you have the dune, which is really, really nice to get a lot of altitude, but when you're going high, it's usually a bit bumpy as well, so you have to live with that. And it's a great place for, for ground handling and for working your technique on the ground, which is a very important part of, of paragliding for me. So you yeah, can actually only go up if you're able to ground handle your glider up uh, to a certain height and from there you can turn around and, and soar up the rest so it's it's awesome training and you just spend whatever between well as much as you like but you can spend up to seven eight hours a day if you're very motivated <laughs> you can spend that flying and, and using uh playing with your wing which of course will make you better <laughs> oh it sounds ideal for that kind of thing i love where you can just sit on the beach and put your you know, uh, get your wing over your head and tow you up the up the hill a little bit and launch. That's there's no better training oh, than that, so is there? Fun. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And just play around on the on the ground. It's so much fun. Like when I'm at the dune, I usually don't even fly up. I'm just playing on the ground and having fun and dragging my feet through the sand and whatever, trying the odd savvy touch or something. It's it's just great. It gives you such a good feeling for your glider. Mm, sounds brilliant. Fantastic. Well, on that note, Christina, thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you and it was some, some fantastic information there. And uh, I hope we catch up in, in person one of these days and I hope you, you get some That'd snow over there in Austria. <laughs> That'd be great too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Gavin. It was nice talking to you too. And thanks for having me here.
I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was great to finally track Christina down. Some awesome advice there. Great things we all need to be reminded of from time to time. Uh, again, as I said in the top of the show, I'm going to be doing a little film tour here uh, next week with North Unknown down the west coast of uh, Canada and the U.S. Hope you can come join me. You'll find those uh, schedules and venues and dates and everything on the cloudbasedmayhem.com or on my Facebook page. Um, Please, if you can, support the show. You can do that on the website, cloudbasedmayhem.com. You'll find the links for that if, if you want to do a one-off support. Uh, all we ask for, as always, is a buck a show. You can do that through PayPal or this new way we've got, patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. On there, you can kind of set it and forget it. And if you do, you get access to all kinds of great bonus material uh, like the Magic Bus Tour from Larry Tudor, which I just uploaded this morning. I highly... Uh, I invite you to go in there and check it out. I highly suggest you listen to that one. It is absolutely hysterical. It'll make your day. Uh, That's about it. We'll see you on the next show. Thanks for listening, and uh, enjoy your day. Cheers.